Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. So what are you supposed to do between each Engadget podcast? Wait in silence? I'm Matt Smith, and every morning I walk through the day's biggest tech stories. It's short, relevant, and ready for listening whenever you wake up. Find Engadget Morning Edition wherever you find your podcasts, or ask your smart speaker for the latest news from Engadget. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Engadget Podcast. I'm Reviews Editor Sherlyn Lowe. I'm Senior Editor Devendra Hardwar. And this week we had a heck of a lot of hardware news. In addition to all the usual news that's going on, we had Samsung had an awesome unpacked event that's in quotes. Uh, Google announced a new smart display. Intel and AMD have a bunch of chip news that Devendra worked really hard to cover for us. <laughs> so we'll be digging into all of that in addition to some other news updates from all around the world of tech and also to help uh, unpack some of Samsung's news. We also have special guests, uh, senior mobile editor Chris Velasco here with us. We'll get to that in a little bit. But as always, if you're enjoying the show, please make sure to subscribe to us on your podcast catcher of choice. Leave us a review on iTunes so that people know we're kind of okay. And uh, <laughs> if you want to interact with us live uh, during the recording of this podcast, we're on the Engadget YouTube channel every Thursday morning, 10 a.m. Eastern. So head on over there. Come talk to us. Also, as a bonus this week, we have some special interviews uh, at the end of this episode. So make sure you listen all the way. It's kind of like a post-credits bonus. Mine is... Uh, I have an interview with Robert Kirkman, known best as uh, for his work on The Walking Dead. But I mean, creating he also has The Walking Dead, right? Creating yeah. The Walking yeah. Dead, the comic series, in addition to the the show on AMC. Uh, but he is back with another animated series. This is coming to Amazon. It's called Invincible. I talked to him a little bit about it, what it's like working with Amazon, uh, what it's like adapting his animation for mm-hmm. an animated series. So... Do stay tuned and check it out. Dev, what have you got for us? Yeah, I talked with Fede Alvarez, a director I really like, and he's behind the new TV series on Apple TV called Calls. And this show, we wrote it up. Uh, you could go check out the trailer. But it's really an audio drama with very limited visuals. Like, it is a series of phone calls, and on the screen you can see you know bits of dialogue and things like that and visual imagery, but it's really about the audio experience. So I talked with him about what it was like creating this thing that's kind of just a podcast, but you're watching on your TV too. That was a fun chat, so yeah, stay tuned for that. All right, everyone, so Samsung had its third virtual event this year, and it's only March. Uh, but <laughs> yesterday, Wednesday the 13th of March, uh, 17th, 
of March. Uh, Samsung had a awesome unpacked event. That name is the company's, not mine. Uh, yeah, and I feel like they're really trying to sell it too hard because it's like it's <sighs> not even the flagship phone. So like we've got some. Meh phones. Let's call it awesome. You know, everything is wanna, awesome. Yeah. yeah. I, I just want to say that if you start labeling something with a word that means it's really, really good, you're setting yourself up <laughs> for disappointment. It's but, Samsung. Yeah. Yeah, it is Samsung. So the Galaxy Awesome Unpacked event was to uh, for it to unveil the A-series or its slightly more affordable line of smartphones. And here to break that all down with us is Chris Velasco in Gadget's senior mobile editor, Hey V. How are you? Hey, hey fam. What's up, squad? <laughs> oh, Let's heat no. this show into the stratosphere. Oh. God. Now the reason did, did I did I did I get that, that right? Are you are you okay? Is, are you having an aneurysm? V? Are you just, all right? I just had a stroke. Also, was any of that correct? Did I use any of those words correctly? <laughs> you had a case of the Youngs. Let's uh, let's put it there. And, and so as did, did Samsung, Samsung. Apparently, as <laughs> did Samsung. Basically, uh, for those who didn't tune in to Samsung's event or haven't caught up yet, uh, Samsung's event was just cringeworthy the whole entire time because Samsung was like. Yeah, this event for is for everyone. That's kind of like what its invitation said. It was like, oh, Galaxy for everyone. But apparently, according to Samsung's dictionary, everyone means people maybe under the age of 21 sure. uh, and uses lingo that <laughs> includes a heavy repetition of the word squad, awesome, besties, iconic, clutch. They did not say yeet. I will say they did not say yeet, but uh, it definitely brings to mind that. V, did you feel old watching the Samsung? <laughs> like, well, so that's a loaded question because I constantly feel old anyway. But this this really did feel like the one of the first times where I officially have like transitioned out of like the target market of a company, right? Like. Aww. And and I can live with that. That's there's no shame in that. I've learned a lot along the way. But yeah, I think you made you raised a really interesting point, right? Like the A series, which stretches from devices like the A01, which is like a hundred dollar phone, all the mm. way up to new devices like the A72 for the equivalent of around five to six hundred US dollars. Mm-hmm. They only mm-hmm. announced European pricing. This is a this is a smartphone line with such huge reach. So for them yeah. to focus on what feels for now like a very, very small slice of the market, especially a market from what we understand that generally seems to gravitate towards high-end devices, whether they're new or not, it all just felt a bit puzzling. Yeah. I Mm want to just go back to the beginning of Samsung's event, where the first thing I think we were treated to is something called the Awesome Song, or the and, and it's a remix of Samsung's all Over the Horizon ringtone. Uh, <laughs> we, we have a clip prepared for you, dear listener and viewer. Uh, those on the YouTube stream will get to see me and V's live reaction to it. Uh, let's see if we have that ready for you guys. But this song. We'll have plenty of content to send to your squad or to wow your followers. We're talking hard-eyed reactions to your stories, subscribers to your channel, Maybe even a DM from your crush. <laughs> oh, I just saw our band. And a Peloton. This is. <laughs> squad, stay tuned for the photo show. Squad, stay tuned for the photo squad. And yeah, that was my instant reaction to this remix. It sounds a bit Beat Saber-esque. I don't know uh, what you think about that, Dev. Uh, <laughs> yeah, sure, kind of. It sounds like somebody who had like a mixer in front of them and just like kept hitting, hitting that beat quite a lot. So yeah, yeah 
Uh, it, no yeah. words. No words. That that should have been our first clue as to what the rest of the event would have been like. But I just was like, oh, okay, okay. All right, we got a yeah. beat. And then, uh, no. It, went- it, it sounds kind of like if somebody was tasked with, you know, making that remix and their toddler walked in and just like <laughs> hit the keyboards like... <laughs> <laughs> awesome, 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 awesome. It's exactly That's... the kind of music Sophia makes right now, my daughter. <laughs> totally. I, I mean, I would love yeah. to hear her tracks. But uh, the <laughs> besides the music, and we'll get into, uh, I want to tell you all what, you know, the intro to uh, was uh-huh. with the with this event. But V, did you have any thoughts once you heard this song, what the event was going to be like? I mean, it's always a tricky situation because everyone is always pretty aware of what an event is going to be like going into one of these things. But Mm -hmm. this, this was kind of a completely different story. I have to say it like, I I didn't expect Samsung to lean so heavily into the young sort of vernacular. I didn't expect them to try and just like relate to people under 25 (laughs) as strongly as they did, which again is cool. I, I, we've thrown around the word cringe a bunch already. And I think it definitely was that, but on the flip side, and I, I really like hate myself for seemingly coming to Samsung's defense, but here's the thing. If they didn't Mm -hmm. use that cringe ass song, or if they didn't like try to communicate with the viewers the way they were, the way they did the other day, we wouldn't be talking about this event. Like there's a reason it stuck with us this whole time. Yeah, because these are not normally phones we devote much time to, right? The A series have been around for a while. They've been budget phones and, Kind of cool, but I, I see why they're doing this. It makes sense because teenagers probably would want cheap phones too. Their parents may not want to get them the Galaxy S whatever now, right? If they can get a yeah. really nice three-camera phone for under 500 bucks, right? And yeah. Let's, let's, let's put it this way, okay? So yeah. this, is, this is Charles Sia, uh, the guy who opened the event. And this is, I guess, Samsung's point of view as to like why they're pandering mm-hmm. to this, this segment. Uh, Charles Sia opened saying, uh, oh, the Galaxy A series, it put we, we want to put the technology we need at every person's fingertips. Galaxy A, it's no surprise that its biggest fans belong to the next generation of influencers. <laughs> this is a generation that's harnessed the power of we. We as in W-E, not Nintendo's W-I-I. Mm, mm. Um, witness the global cultural sync and come together with friends from around the world to stand icons. <laughs> organize their own issues and everything in between. He said stand icons. Oh I can't imagine God. he said stand icons. Yeah. So I mean, that, I, I don't yeah, want to sound too shocked intro. here. There was also a report, by the way, like I, I forget if you guys noticed this, but Samsung announced that they're having chip shortages. There may not be a new note this year. So I also wonder if they're starting to like say like, hey, we got to really push more into the lines we already have rather than. <laughs> They'd be way too many phones that too many people that, you know, not enough people can buy. Yeah, that's a really good point. Like we knew Mm -hmm. kind of going into this year that the note was probably not going to happen anyway. And in the report that you mentioned, which I believe was first published by Bloomberg the night before the event, Mm -hmm. DJ Co. said, you know, hey – we were probably looking at streamlining our smartphones anyway. But because the A72, the A52, the A52 5G were already in the works, they've probably already allotted, as you say, for just like all of the chips, all of the components needed because everyone is struggling really hard right now. You know, they listen to the Engadget podcast. We've talked about (laughs) Samsung having too many phones. That's exactly what we've been saying over the last year. So Samsung, listen, that's all. Yeah, it feels to me like we have to rethink the way we um, expect certain things out of different parts of the Samsung smartphone uh, population. Uh, I'll get to that a little bit later. I want to do this like 
just the very last thing I'll have to say on Samsung appealing to the youngs, and then we can talk about the phones. Um, <laughs> but I think some of the so 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 this use of young vernacular happened all around, all throughout. It wasn't just in the intro. Specifically, I think when they were talking about the camera, it was very heavy. But I, there's a point of contention here for me. Um, and I would love your thoughts on it, V and Devendra, but also our mm-hmm. audience. So in addition to using words like squad, which, by the way, they use at least four times, if not five or six <laughs> times, which caused us had a our squad video counter. team. Yeah. yeah, we had a squad counter that they came up with last minute because we didn't think Samsung was going to say the word squad so many times, but we're going to do a live counter anyway. Um, but uh, so they said squad so many times. They said the they said the camera was iconic and your pictures will be clutch quality uh, and you'll get hearts from all your followers. There's like a whole movement to it. But at some point during that, um, that, that segment to the person saying all those words about the camera also said that this camera would be great for vlogging we have a clip of this uh he said vlogging yeah listen listen let's say you're vlogging with a friend on a typical camera filming while you're what is vlogging i i the that's, way that's I, not even is, an old person that was a younger person people, in the sampling like that's event. people say that sometimes though like really i've heard people this say is it. Not maybe, a maybe not gif. like <laughs> Discussion. So, you know? our our dear listener and viewer, <laughs> let us know what is the answer, the hard definition of how to pronounce that word. Is it vlog or is it vlog? We know, we know, we know we it's vlog. Yeah. <laughs> but tell us uh, if you have feels about it. But anyway, that's the last thing yeah. I'll say. It's not like they're very in touch. Yeah, it's a bit contentious. This whole Anyhow. event seems like they're doing the uh, "How do you do, fellow kids?" meme. Oh yeah, know? <laughs> that came like up the a entire, lot. The entire the entire thing. So, hey, hilarious, but also. So, yeah, as we're discussing, probably makes a lot of business sense for them, even if they're not communicating properly to the kids. Yeah. But anyway, like I said, that would be the last I complained about the whole like, <laughs> young person vernacular for at least this show anyway. V, though, can you tell us a little bit about these new phones? So, yeah, we've got... Samsung has sort of an interesting lineup here. And then before we get into the devices themselves, I feel like we really just need to stress the fact that the A-series is like a huge business for Samsung. Yeah. If you yeah. look at uh, at least one research firm, one research firm, Omdia, uh, at the end of last year sort of went through and just sort of ranked smartphone sales by sales volume. Like the A51 was up there, the Galaxy A01, the A21s, like these are all heavy hitters and they contribute significantly to Samsung's bottom line. So so I do think it's kind of nice they finally decided, hey, let's give the the meat and potatoes of our smartphone line a proper presentation. Mm-hmm. But um, sort of an interesting pack this year. That's mostly because the A52 and the A72 are, are very, very similar devices. They have very mm-hmm. similar screen sizes. One is uh, One uses a six and a half inch Super AMOLED screen, the other uses a 6.7. The mm. A72 has a larger battery, obviously, because it's a slightly bigger phone. But beyond that, they use the same Snapdragon 720G. There are some differences in the cameras. All three devices use a 64 megapixel uh, main camera with optical image stabilization. And I believe an F1.8 aperture. That's really uh, tying heavily into Samsung's approach mm-hmm. of giving people solid cameras at all price points. 
this would be a flagship film like two years ago. Like for this sure, is for sure, great. Yeah. I mean, and that's and that's the thing that's easy to kind of overlook when you mm-hmm. get stuck in the trappings of like the event itself. Like these are legitimately good phones. The A uh-huh. the A fifty two five G in itself is particularly interesting um, to play nice with a sort of sub six five G networks. You'll find more of around the world than millimeter wave. It uses a Qualcomm Snapdragon seven fifty G chipset, which is a little bit newer, actually a little bit faster than the processors you'll find in the other two A series devices that were announced hmm. the other day. You do get a uh, slightly faster screen too. So all of these phones have high refresh rate displays. Wow. The A52 mm-hmm. and the A72 have 90 hertz screens, but the oh. A52 5G has the full on 120 hertz, same refresh rate you get out of Samsung's flagship. So yeah. for the equivalent of like five, four to $600, depending on the exact device, you're getting a really competitive spec sheet. Apple has no excuse at this point, by the way, to keep high refresh rate screens out of the iPhone. Like that has to happen. Oh this yeah, this year. is three hundred and fifty dollars sure. euro Jeez. anyway phone, and it has a ninety hertz screen to start with. I will say though, the the branding remains confusing to me, right? Like you would, I would think of the A seventy two as a high end one, but it sounds like right. the A fifty two five G is the more premium within this lineup. Is that correct, V? I mean, that's that's certainly one way of looking at, it. and that's how I've just sort of naturally looked at it, like. <laughs> Every company sort of has their own weird naming scheme. And Samsung's has been generally pretty straightforward. Like the higher the number, the better it is. But 5G is kind of thrown a wrench into the mix because, you mm-hmm. know, a 5G device, even though it sort of belongs to a, a theoretically lesser tier within that model structure, like just because a lot of developing markets don't have 5G and don't have to worry about it, these things will all, will generally be sold in like Korea, Europe, probably we might get one of these things in the U.S. So in those markets where things where the situation tends to be a bit more developed, yeah, I, it's I, it's not a huge surprise to see them investing in a few more premium features. But it does kind of feel a bit lopsided here. <laughs> I, one of the things that surprised me was that they also named Space Zoom as one of the features on this. You get what thirty times uh, on these devices with up to three times optical zoom, I believe. Um, and with the S series, having had that as their kind of the standout feature for the last I don't know, two years now, for it to trickle down, I guess that quickly to the A series, it's, mm-hmm. it's just fascinating for me because like, wow, there's almost no reason for most people who are on some sort of budget to pay for that S series now, especially with the going away <laughs> we're hearing of the Note series, it seems like the S series is quickly taking over as the phone for the specs obsessed, right? Like yeah, the yeah, S series sure. may soon take over the Note series spiritually, especially if S Pen support. Yeah. Well, S Pen support is already here for the S series, mm-hmm. and then the Notes, the the folds maybe will have them. Are we supposed to think of the A series as? An upcoming successor to the S series and the S as the new notes. I'm I'm surprised they didn't just change the name. Like this this should be called the Galaxy Squad, to be honest. Like the <laughs> oh Galaxy Squad no. lineup. Galaxy Squad 5G. Yeet yeet yeet. <laughs> we need, we, we need a Davindra speaks the young sound. <laughs> Sorry. He said squat and yeet. We did this, people. We did it. Woo. What else? What else brain. can we get Davindra to say? Let's see. But but the Galaxy Squad. S being the first letter, so maybe the next is the Q series, and then there's a U series for the underperformers. I don't know. They could have, like, 
all these companies just got to change up their their names. Like they, mm-hmm. we don't have to stick with the A series. Nobody cares. Nobody cares if you re like if it's Galaxy Squad one, Galaxy Squad two, or something like. <laughs> anyway, they they could totally do that. Um, but I think we're really getting harder at the heart of this, right? Like I mm-hmm. like cheap phones. And I like good mm-hmm. tech getting to cheaper phones, and that's really the key here. I think, right? Yeah, I mean, there's there's no contesting the fact that. All companies are now paying way more attention to the mid-range line than they used to. Apple, I mean, I hate to like drag Apple into this, but they released the iPhone SE around this time last year, and it gave you like an A13 and pretty solid performance out of a device that looks like Mm -hmm. it's four or five years old. So like that's that's maybe not great. And they also had to kill the 12 mini, right? Or basically wind that down because people didn't really want the slightly smaller premium phone too. Yeah. People want the budget phone. But not the cheaper, smaller, the cute little baby. A lot of things to learn here. Yeah, I I do feel bad for all the people who've been like clamoring for a premium small phone because like it's such a vocal minority. People really care about this stuff, and it felt like they got what they wanted. And it it's a Twilight Zone episode. Like you got what you wanted, but what you wanted has less battery life, and that is the. The consequence of your wishes. what you wish for. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. An entire slice of the industry is like stuck in a library at the end of the world, but their glasses broke. (laughs) It's too small. (laughs) (laughs) But I I like the idea that the mid-range or the more affordable lineup is getting a bit more attention. And and it looks like soon we might be, you know, giving the high-end flagships that are $1,000 phones at this point. Um, you know, giving them the space of the notes, the even more high end. I think if we start thinking of them as like more luxury and th- and, and maybe normalize, I guess, the ownership of a mid-range phone, maybe it'll give these companies a bit more, more pressure to bring mm-hmm. these better features down faster. Um, mm-hmm. We BU started cover going phones. crazy. Yeah, I know. But go ahead. Yeah. Do you, do, you, do you think like do you think that's what where we're headed like where we're going to start treating the $500 range as the mainstream range? I I mean look, I I certainly hope that's where we wind up. I, I mean, we've all we're all fans of cheap good phones and I think mm-hmm. we all agree that more people should be buying them. But there's there's a level of like cultural weight and cachet that comes with having a phone that everyone knows is a $1000 and that's not something that Samsung or Apple or whatever is going to be able to sort of beat out of us by changing their branding around. It's it's just a nature of consumerism and we we all we all have to spend a lot mm-hmm. of time just sort of steeped in it. And it's not great. Like I do firmly believe that most people would be better off buying like a $600 phone, saving the 400 bucks and just sort of like having a little bit of buffer in their lives. But mm-hmm. these companies have a vested interest in selling us the biggest, most, you know, profit margin laden devices possible. And those are the ones that cost a thousand dollars plus. Yeah. It's all Apple's fault, by the way. Like it's Apple is a genius at getting, pushing prices higher and they pushed past a $1,000 and we were all like, this is not great. And Samsung was like, oh, a thousand dollars. Try a two thousand dollar phone. <laughs> Things went crazy, but I do hope we kind of normalize because hey, we're not walking around and showing everybody our phones, right? The cultural cachet of walking around saying, I have the iPhone 12 Pro doesn't exist unless you're creating content for, you know, TikTok or something, right? So yeah. Which is the generation mm-hmm. that the Samsung's awesome unpacked event was targeting but for some reason they're like here's this 350 350 euro phone that we think is going to be good for the yeats or something and <laughs> i don't even know how to use that we word. gotta just yeah, create our I own words. <laughs> i bet we can make something happen yeet your vegetables that's what i'm gonna eat say your vegetables um I'm, i think I, people do eat their vegetables 
Oh no. <laughs> I hope I didn't that wasn't obscene. Anyway, I've been I've been using the Pixel 4a for almost a year now. It's a $350 phone. It doesn't have the fastest processor. It doesn't have these quad camera setups, but it's it's gotten the job done. It's it's mm-hmm. again Caveat being, it's been a pandemic year. I've not been going out a lot, so battery life is dramatically less important to me. But still, like, it turns out I can live with a $350 phone. Maybe yeah. we all can. But uh, Maybe we all can. Hmm. Hmm. It's philosophically really something, to think about. Yeah. something to chew on, y'all. Something to eat on. Oh, I can't. I uh, eat on that. Oh, eat on that. Okay. <laughs> I, let's let's move on from Yeet to there was a point in uh, Samsung's event where they used the word accessible and just based on what I've been covering for the last few months or so that got my attention and I was like oh do they have some new cool features but Samsung was referring to accessibility in terms of price these phones the good thing about them is that like they're offering a very compelling set of features at a more affordable, therefore more accessible price, um, which I'm interested in. But I would like to point out, and V, I don't know if you realized this maybe after the fact, but there was no <laughs> ASL interpreter this time. Mm. Whereas for the last two keynotes that Samsung had, they had an ASL interpreter, and that was like noted uh, on Twitter, at least I saw. Um, huh. But this time around, none. Yeah, and I did notice that. Yeah, did they? Did they? Do they think maybe younger people don't need a sign language interpreter? I, <laughs> I think they, it's. They, I think it's fair to say a lot of what happened yesterday was not fully thought through. Yeah. So it's maybe not a surprise that they left. They that used part. their entire budget on the young speak. You know, you got a license. <laughs> you you got to like. That song costs so much money, by the way. Oh no! <laughs> <laughs> they paid so much for the awesome. Awesome remix song that they could not afford in ASL. Awesome sign language interpreter. Speaking of like the market they're aiming for with this, I really wonder why was this a big like live streamed event? You Mm -hmm. know, like it seems like if you're trying to go after this market, maybe go after where they are. So I I guess, yeah, we're talking about it because it's a big thing. We have to devote devote time to it. But I can also imagine like Samsung feeding TikTok with some really creative videos showing off these new cameras and what they do and letting that kind of spread and, you know, kind of having shorter bits, not like a big professional event, but having shorter ways to convey what these phones are and what they're doing. Uh, I don't know. It seems like there are ways to rethink this, but these companies, they're not thinking creatively, right? They're just... They want to copy what's trending now, and that is Yeet and Young Speak, I guess. <laughs> a few, I, to be I fair, think... a few of these clips did wind up on Samsung's TikTok after Good. the event. So, like, maybe yeah. they designed this around having some sort of more social forward content to be able to pull from. But, yeah, no, I totally agree with you. In, in general, it was not amazing. <laughs> to, to repeat a word that I overuse, I want to shout out uh, our live chat viewers or live chat uh, participants from yesterday's live stream where Daniel Cockane and Mark Dell, are some of our regular viewers, uh, envisioned the planning meeting that might have happened that led to yesterday's event, which is potentially <laughs> people at Samsung HQ had a take your kids to work day and they're like, you know, this phone is cool vibes, fam. Let's vibe check this a sec. And and then they were just like, Yeah, that's a great idea. We need to we need to follow what the young people say. And then and then I think someone else in the chat yesterday, Maori QHD, I believe is their username, um, said, Imagine the popcorn eating party right now. Uh <laughs> going over at Apple Park. 
What do you think Apple is going to come back with? A- Apple does not be? like. I, I I bet you nobody at Apple had any idea this event was happening. <laughs> they didn't care. Like it is so beneath Apple. Is, Maybe somebody like was like they saw on Twitter while they were in the bathroom. Huh? Samsung has new stuff. That's cool. Uh, back to you know <laughs> our AR glasses and our Apple Car <laughs> and all the cool stuff that's going to change the world. And for some reason, the target audience for samsung's event they just use apple anyway no matter yeah. how hard maybe that's why they had to target that anyway but v you're yeah. our apple person at least on the mobile beat mm. what do you think apple like feels about this or is like anyway at least going off of the conversations i tend to have with them about this stuff like the official party line would be something like we don't give a damn and i'm sure that's true <laughs> to some extent but apple is in fairness one of those companies you just seek kind of seemingly throwing their weight around for no reason. Like, mm-hmm. if maybe yeah. fine, no one knew that Unpacked was happening and no one at or Apple was paying attention. There have been instances in the past, like not too long ago, they scheduled their event for like yep. the same day as a OnePlus event. Yep. And the, <laughs> I, I refuse to believe that like no one looked up anything about that day. Yep. And uh, the obvious conclusion is they just decided, hey, you know what? Screw those guys. Like, let's just do it. Let's just do our thing. <laughs> so... I, I do believe that Apple sort of looks at the industry and sort of gets a feel for where it's going, but it does sometimes treat everyone else with like total contempt. Speaking of OnePlus, they have an event coming up and we're expecting uh, another phone from them. But to be clear, OnePlus made its mark for doing exactly what Samsung is trying to do now, which sure. is squeeze a lot of good features for a fraction of flagship prices. Uh, do you think, I know they've uptrended a little bit in terms of price lately, but do we think OnePlus's next phone is going to be better than the A50 or 72. Um, and can we maybe, should we be holding out for a OnePlus instead of buying an A something? It's tough to say. Yeah. So going into this event, I'm fairly sure what we're looking at are, are two sort of high-end devices. So something like the OnePlus 9 Pro and then the slightly down market OnePlus 9. And there might be some overlap between a OnePlus mm-hmm. 9, the sort of dialed down version of that true flagship device that now carries the true flagship price. There might be mm-hmm. some overlap between that and something like the A72. But I expect that to be pretty minimal. If anything, it seems like the OnePlus Nord line is kind of where mm. uh, OnePlus is really gunning for the kind of market that the A series has been going after. So mm. no, if you're if you're like <laughs> looking for a cheap phone, you probably don't need to wait for OnePlus to announce whatever it has to, to to get a feel for what's going on. But on the flip side, yes, also everyone should wait and buy as buy a new phone as late as humanly possible yeah, because yeah. of deals, because of launch windows, because of launch windows affecting other companies and them introducing deals. Like it's a weird interconnected economic ecosystem that that we're sort of watching unfold every time something comes out. So mm-hmm. the best advice, as always, is to just hang in there for as long <laughs> as you can. We'll we'll have to wait and see what uh, OnePlus announces. That'll be next week on Tuesday. Uh, For those of you who are so inclined and like to check out YouTube, come back on the 23rd, uh, I believe at 9.40 a.m. Eastern, where V and I will once again be watching it live with you. Bring your popcorn, bring your yeets, and uh, your squad. We're going to talk now about another piece of hardware that was introduced this week. And this, to me, was super fascinating when I first heard about it. This is Google's Nest Hub second generation. And uh, it's a smart display, you know, pretty bar for the course, except it can track your sleep by it's using... It's a bit of a pervert, this smart By hub. using <laughs> radar. 
So the idea <laughs> is you set up this seven inch display somewhere near your bed, within a couple feet of your bed. You angle <laughs> it to face where you're sleeping, mm-hmm. uh, and you calibrate it. You do a setup process, and you lay in the middle of where you would usually <laughs> sleep. You know, if you tend to roll around, just kind of like lay in the middle of where you tend to roll around. And uh, the thing will use radar to detect motion, so your movements in bed, to see if you're asleep or not. And then track it and do the things that a sleep tracker would do. So, you know, how long have you been in sleep? How how much were you restless? It also has other sensors on board, like a a third microphone as opposed to just two in the generation before. Um, And temperature sensor, ambient light sensor. uses all these things to detect things like whether you coughed, you snored, how cold it was in your room, how bright it was in your bedroom. Uh, And then tell you the next day, like, hey, you were restless these times and this was the temperature, uh, light amount and sounds in the environment. Uh, yeah, it uses the Soli radar chip that showed up in the Pixel mm-hmm. 4. It's also in the Nest thermostat, uh, the newest Nest thermostat. So it's not a camera. It's not like watching, watching you sleep. So <laughs> for those who are concerned about privacy in the bedroom, there's I not mean, a camera here. This promo but, video uh, does not look great. To be honest, it is like this little thing just buzzing rays out of your nightstand and staring at you. This is, it's not a camera, but it does feel a little creepy as hell. I'd say like, where can also they take this? Like I can imagine your, your bedroom activities after a certain mm. point, Google's going to start mm-hmm. giving you ratings and judgments on that too. Like mm. <laughs> stay out of my bedroom, Google, please. That was my first question for, for, for this, right? And that was a fun conversation to have with Google, by the way, where I could not say the word sex or... Uh-huh. I mean, you could. You, you We're could adults. Yeah. I could. I could. But I was trying to be professional, y'all. And I was trying to be like, how about other activities in the bed? Other yeah. movements in the bed? Like uh, jumping about. Some people <laughs> wrestle in their bed, yeah. you know? Um, but yeah, so so basically what the sensor or the smart display is getting is what looks like a it's a spectrograph and it looks it's lines that, that jump up and down and it looks more like um uh, an ecg that's very active or something i don't even really know how to describe it better than that but so it's not seeing images and what the right, algorithm right, right. does is when it's seeing looking at this spectrograph it applies that algorithm to be like okay this pattern of activity is flipping around and tossing and turning in bed whereas this activity that looks a little more rigorous could be something else. And we're just going to ignore that. We're just gonna are they? Are they? Are you going to trust Google to ignore that? Mm. Well, that's that's what the algorithm is supposed to do. Uh, I don't know. We can get sure. into like whether or not we trust Google. But the other thing, speaking about trust, by the way, so this information uh, where, where it's interpreted into sleep data, that is processed on device. It doesn't get sent anywhere for processing. It's only after your uh, data has been identified as sleep, restlessness, coughing, etc. Um, and that's that's what's finally then parsed or passed on to Google Fit, the app with which you can look at your data on your sure. smartphone. So, But that still goes to a cloud before it gets to the app, right? Like there's still a cloud hit or does it go straight from the device to your it, phone or something? The cloud hit, but what the cloud gets though is like, mm-hmm. uh, for example, it detects that you've been coughing or snoring, right? Sure. What the cloud gets is the fact that you've been clouding, uh, coughing and snoring and not the sounds of you coughing and snoring. Sure, sure, right? sure. Not sure. the raw data, but the interpreted data. Mm. So slightly better, slightly. but... You know, uh, no, is, no raw data, no sounds I, of whatever sounds you make at night. 
Will it be is kind of interesting because we've seen a lot of sleep tech and I don't think anybody's used radar in this way before. And yeah. I've tried a lot of cool things. Like I remember the Jawbone Up band, my beloved Jawbone <gasps> Up, did a really good job oh. of sleep tracking. You know, we've had sleep tracking yeah. wrist devices for so long. There are a lot of things that can fit into your bed to kind of help mm-hmm. track your sleep. But yep. this seems like the most inobtrusive way of doing mm-hmm. that. It's just the idea of a little Google radar pinging me while I sleep just feels... Uh, that that is kind of dystopian in many ways. But yeah. Hey, maybe this will work out and be good. I have I have thoughts on this, but V, what are your thoughts on this? <laughs> I, I am full of questions, and the one I guess I want to throw yes. out there first is to like how how effective do you think this is? Like, how close does it have to be? Uh, obviously, in this like little animation, the person it's tracking is like wearing covers. Like, to, mm-hmm. th- do we mm-hmm. expect that to be an issue, especially in winter when you're just kind of bundled up? Like, mm-hmm. how, what's your sense of how well this could actually work? I uh, I don't know. I don't mm. think that they, uh, I, I mean, I haven't tested it out and I will be testing it out. So I'll report back when I do. But I have the same skepticism you do, right? Heavy covers. The, the, the product manager during my briefing said that um, the system is sensitive enough to detect micrometer mi- movement of your chest for detecting mm-hmm. your breathing. And uh, it has to be within a couple feet and angled towards huh. you. So I think okay. calibration is going to be part of whether or not you get an accurate reading. I will say this, I have been super frustrated with some of my Google smart home devices recently. My Chromecast just keeps dropping Mm. in and out of Wi-Fi. My Nest Audio just keeps dropping in and out. It pisses Mm -hmm. me the F off. Imagine that. So I don't know. I got so mad. So I don't know how well this is going to work. I will say though, like to Devendra's point, I love the fact that they've done this because A, it's just very unique application of technology. They've just had... They are figuring out what to do with Soli. They're like, Soli is ready now for the mainstream, but we don't really know how to use yeah. Soli. It didn't it's work It's useful. In I have the Google Nest with Soli, and like when I walk yeah. by, the thing will like pop up and tell me the time or something. Or if I walk by, it'll like kick up the heat because nobody's been moving in that room right. for a while. So in it's been good for things like that more so than phones, I'd say. Yeah. Totally. I mean, it was never great. On, like when, yeah. when Google yeah. first started developing Soli, like their big push was exactly what they seem to be talking about now. Those very sort of like micro level gestures. Mm. One of their earliest demos was like you could very you could like use your fingers to like control volume at a very granular level. And that sounded great. And it sounds like we're finally maybe getting a use for that very fine grained uh, ability to monitor motion. But I don't know. I I feel like if anyone is sort of, if anyone has experience with Soli, it's probably due to something like using a Pixel Four, which did not do very well, and that's that's what really concerns me. Like, the Soli array in the Pixel Four was meant for like very big, noticeable gestures. You were using your hand, you were swiping left and right to change tracks. And even Mm -hmm. then, it wasn't particularly good at it. So if you're telling me that Google has built up a thing that's supposed to sit a couple feet away from you that can tell the difference between your rise and fall of your (laughs) chest and like... Your and the electric rise and fall of other things, or the rise yeah. and fall of other things, or like the Animals electric your fan bed. moving your everybody, shirt around. Like yeah. so everybody many sleeps things. with pets. Like that's, oh, that's yeah. the other thing too. Like I have cats always crawling over me mm-hmm. all night. You know, cats that's, and dogs. Oh my. Oh, I'm kind of jealous. That's one what of the things that that they even brought up themselves, where they know that like you know your pet can jump in your bed in the yeah. middle of the night, uh, and that sort of detection is they. I mean, so they performed. Uh, they said they performed like uh, 110,000 nights of tests and. Uh, 
uh, on about 10,000 individuals to see how accurate their, their system was. And they said that compared to the gold standard, which is uh, polysomnographic studies, mm-hmm. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Um, they, they said that was the gold standard and they said there was no statistical difference between their results and those. And then compared to the sleep trackers already out there, whether it's wrist-worn, a wearable, or a metro sensor, uh, they found that theirs were either comparable or at times even better. And again, we'll have to see this for ourselves. Uh, I, I think there's a difference between a controlled study and out in the real world. Mm-hmm. But the, the the idea is that the algorithm has been trained to be smart enough to distinguish between when your cat is crawling across your bed, ver- uh, crawling, skulking, whatever, across your bed <laughs> versus, versus when yeah. you're just flipping around or like reaching for your phone and if you're reaching for your phone the algorithm should be like mm-hmm. you're awake what are you doing up bro turn off twitter or go to bed you know like well it won't say that but you know what i mean i think there's something I mean. to be said about like the quality of that training too so you said they they tested this stuff for like 110,000 nights with, with how many people Ten thousand individuals i wonder how many of those ten thousand people had sex in front of this thing or just like abstained right. because they knew <laughs> right. radar like the I training badly, yeah the, yeah you got right. They needed <laughs> yeah. to not only not only have sex. Let's be honest. They needed to exclude, right? That this is this they is have stuff to find they need that to data. identify yeah. and then mm-hmm. exclude. Mm-hmm. Which <laughs> you are totally right. Did any engineer figure out what the algorithmic pattern of s- s- sex? Uh, There's a lot of jumping up and down self, in this size self-sex? in this graph. Yeah, this graph or is like just going kids. up and down, up and down. I don't know what's up going on here. <laughs> is a happy thursday morning this is what happens when i come and crash the show (laughs) crash the show here's here's the other thing if you also if you like regularly sleep alone but you know occasionally you have a visitor stay over Mm -hmm. um the i I asked what would happen and would that affect your result and the answer was that well maybe but if it does (laughs) you can exclude that night and and the idea here on Google's <laughs> end is that you're not they don't want you to get hung up on one night of sleep data. They want yeah. you to focus on your general sleep patterns mm. and and do things that can help you sleep better. Yeah, sure. Things that are within your control like So what you're saying the is there's going to be a one night stand button basically <laughs> at some point. <laughs> nice. I, I mean, wish however many nights you're standing. I would just like add, Google has to answer the hard questions, okay? So, yeah. I, I asked them in euphemistic ways, so uh, so don't worry. I had a lot of fun, not only in this interview where I was struck coming up with different ways to say these things that I didn't want to be too explicit about for some mm-hmm. reason, and also writing the post, just being like, oh, how about uh, mm-hmm. how about when you uh, have a stayover? Sure. Um, I don't know if this is going to go anywhere, <laughs> this device, but Sure. I, I actually, you've given me an idea, V. I do need to test this thing out in a variety of situations. So we'll see um, to how effective that stuff all is. So, so yeah, it's a very good question yeah. you pose. You're, but yeah, this is coming, welcome. y'all. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. So you guys have, well, okay. Look, in addition to the sleep sensing, 
other stuff about the Nest Hub that's new from the from its predecessor. I mean, it's the same size screen. It's not just like a glorified uh, digital photo album anymore, right? Because it can do sleep tracking. But now it's got a third microphone, like I said before. It's got an on-device machine learning chip, so assistant should be faster to respond to your queries. Um, it's also got the new audio system that is now in the Nest Audio versus the mm-hmm. kind of underwhelming system they had before. So better... Mm-hmm. Audio. The Nest Audio, honestly, for the size and the price, had really good audio quality. So that's really nice to have in this Nest Hub as well. So still some improvements here. Also, uh, remember Peachoip, Dev? Yep. From a few episodes ago, Peachoip, as in... I mean, last year, Peachoip. Yeah. Project Connected Home over IP, or what we decided to say, Peachoip. Um, there's support <laughs> in the new Nest Hub for Thread, which is what powers or enables the Peachoip system that people are hoping will become a smart home Uh platform uh, that works in the future. So lots lots to learn about the new Nest Hub, and I can't wait to get it into tests. Would love to hear all y'all's thoughts. So send them our way, podcast at Engadget.com. Well, V, thank you so much for joining us for the conversation today. Where can people find you online? You can find me on Twitter at Chris Velasco, or you can just email me because I really like email. I'm V at Engadget.com. Okay, now that we've kicked V out of here, let's talk about some real hardware, uh, (laughs) grown-up hardware, uh, real muscle power in desktop PCs. Welcome to the PC Hardware Quarter. This week... (laughs) Intel announced its new 11th generation desktop CPUs, and uh, these are the powerful ones. These are the ones that are going to be going into gaming desktops and things like that, and they're fine. They're interesting. Like I feel like there's <laughs> not much more that's that we really need to say about Intel stuff these days, but the interesting thing is that the new top-end chip, the Core i9-1109, the 11900K, is an 8-core chip. They can reach up to 5.3 gigahertz. Last year's chip was actually 10 cores. So in a way, yeah, Intel is kind of moving backwards. But instead of packing in cores, it's uh, ramping up clock speed. It's doing other things to speed up these chips. Uh, it's saying, you know, these chips are, I believe the figure was like up to 19% faster than last mm. year's models in in certain respects. So there are speed improvements. And I think the key here is that, you know, raw speed, raw clock speed, you know, and performance within a single core or a couple cores is more important to games and gamers than having a ton of stuff out there because most games do not take advantage of multi-core very well. So these chips look interesting, but I do think um, like the war now is between this and AMD's new Ryzen, you know, 5000 Mm. chips. And that war is continuing, but I also think, you know, we're starting to see the aging of intel's architecture here uh intel these are 14 nanometer chips this is like a really aging process whereas amd is already at seven and looking at like what they could do with five nanometers in a couple years you know so intel's just really lagging behind um but yeah they've got new stuff at least and yeah it's good that intel is you know showing off their new stuff they also rolled out a new ad campaign for their laptops starring justin long the (laughs) i'm a mac guy from the Apple commercials from 15 years ago. Um, They're called Justin Gets Real, and it's uh, basically him showing off different features that PCs have now, like uh, two-in-one flexibility and gaming support and touchscreens, and just comparing them to Macs. And I just, I see some people online and on Twitter who are really into these ads because 
I think it's true. PCs genuinely have something over Macs these days, but the way they're going about this, getting Justin Long back, basically recreating Apple's old ad campaign seems so desperate and kind of sad. Like it just seems like Intel has been in defense mode ever since the M1 chip was announced. And as soon as we started seeing, you know, results from that, those chips are insanely fast. The M1 MacBook Air and MacBook Pro are some of the fastest machines I've ever tested. And Intel, rather than saying, okay, we got to, you know, buckle up and make our stuff a lot better. Intel's like, no, no, yeah, look at what Apple's can't do. You know, look at what Macs can't do. And it just feels kind of sad to me. Uh, I feel like there's a better way to market this that is more confident uh, on Intel's part and on PC's part rather than always aligning yourself against Apple. Uh, There's no cool factor, right? There's no cool factor like Apple had with its ads. I don't know if you have any thoughts on this, Sherwin. I mean, I guess their so-called cool factor is, yeah, like you said, almost retaliatory. Like, here, mm-hmm. we've got Justin Long now. <laughs> he's a PC now. And he's all about these PCs and Intel chips. I It feels very in line with my mm-hmm. understanding of Intel uh, so far, where they feel, I don't know if they feel attacked or they, they get a bit defensive every now and then, but they do do interesting things. I'd much rather mm-hmm. they focus on that. Like the, I forget what it, the architecture name is where they stack the components on top of each other. Um, yeah, they're 3D stacking is, tech. Right. That, that stuff, stuff is cool. Is and those chips, cool. we're still waiting to see more of that stuff coming. Like we're waiting on the next generation of chips at the end of this year, I believe. So there's some cool stuff happening. It's just Intel is just facing it from all sides. Like AMD is coming at it with killer right. laptop chips, killer desktop chips. Apple came out of nowhere with this chip that is faster than any x86 processor we've seen. So, yeah, I, I could see why Intel is doing this. I just feel like they need they need more confidence. They need to stop yeah. just uh, when Apple was doing these ads. Right. They were they were the underdog. They were saying, like, yeah. look at big, bad Intel right. and these boring PCs. We have cool new hardware. And they had that real uh, ability to convey coolness. Whereas Intel's like, um, look over here, guys. Our, our PCs can do this. We can do that. And we have the Mac guy. <laughs> There's nothing really there. Yeah, right. Intel sounds like the whole like the whole uh, more confidence in themselves thing. It just sounds like they need a bit of therapy. Just believe in you yourself, know? buddy. That's all. That's all you got to do. Yeah. Also, this week, I reviewed the AMD Radeon RX 6700 XT. This is AMD's new kind of mid-range GPU. It is a $479 graphics card that's kind of meant to convey, uh, compete with uh, NVIDIA's RTX 3070 and the 3060 Ti. But, uh, you know, I, I'm kind of mixed on this thing. I do think it's uh, it's very fast at times, but the ray tracing performance is not great. The fans are very loud. And... Um, we don't know what the final pricing will be because one thing we've noticed is that the GPU market uh, over the past couple years is kind of a crap show. Like it is, <laughs> it's hard to get things in stock. It's hard to get things uh, at the correct pricing. Um, I was just looking at prices and Newegg, the RTX 3070, a card that's supposed to be selling for $499, if you can find it at all, it is going for upwards of $700. The RTX 3060 Ti, um, which is supposed to be $499, is selling for upwards of $600. This market wow. is ridiculous and insane because scalpers come in and get this stuff immediately. And uh, because of COVID-19, the supply chain shortage for chips and other things has also driven prices up. So it's a bad time to be buying a GPU. Hold out, folks, if you can, because uh, I, I feel like this whole market needs to really step it up. 
One other thing I'll round out this little hardware corner with is uh, some Alienware laptops. Uh, Alienware's new M15 and M17 laptops have will have Cherry MX mechanical keyboards as an option. Yo, uh, that's pretty yes. cool. That's pretty cool. You'll have your nice clicky keyboards. Great for gamers. Gamers really like that for accuracy and for the way like multiple keys just kind of feel under your fingertips uh so i wrote this up uh and gadgets so yeah go check that out that's gonna be a 150 dollar upgrade and mm. they worked for three and a half years with cherry mx to design these keys they basically created a ultra low profile switch design that kind of looks like the delorean doors that go up and down like gold wing doors um Dang. it sounds cool i haven't touched it or tested it so i'm looking forward to seeing these machines and uh yeah i hope this sticks around because other companies like razor have introduced semi-mechanical switches in mm-hmm. laptops and then gave up on it almost yeah. immediately so this seems like an inconsistent thing for this uh you know for this category and Cherry's like a really recognizable brand yeah. in the mechanical keyboard space too do we know and i don't know if this is an appropriate question mm-hmm. to ask for this product but do we know what color switches they're using or uh, I forget. I think it's more like the Cherry MX brown switches, but okay. I, I still like I cover PC stuff and even I like have a hard time keeping track of what's what here. But uh, yeah. it is a switch that is the be- it is not very noisy, but okay. it's kind of like the like best the... average one. Yeah. Yeah. Brown is definitely the, along the lines of like clicky, but like not so clicky. I like the red you don't want to be sometimes overdone. A, and they actually yeah. they, you know, Alienware posted some stuff on Twitter, too, of like the idea of what this sounds like. Ooh. It could be cool. I've uh, I don't personally rock mechanical keyboards because they are not really conducive to podcasting. So yeah. it is nice to have one around when I'm gaming, but most of the time I'm using like uh, the Logitech Natural one that kind of arcs. Uh, I don't know if you have further thoughts on what mechanical keyboards could mean for laptops, Sherlyn. Uh, I'd be curious to see the height uh, or the thickness of the laptop given it has mechanical keys, but we'll see. We'll see. Okay, and in other news, we're also uh, covering South by Southwest this year. I don't know if you do. You have any? <laughs> Thoughts about what's going on? Because uh, this is a weird show. We're actually yeah. all covering it in Gadget, but there's not much to cover at this yeah. point. Yeah. It's like normally the show uh, is already kind of a struggle to cover because for me on the team, I'm a bit more of a gadget person. So there's not a lot of gadget news at South by, but we there's a lot of good tech demonstrations. And culture stuff, culture news. Yeah. And culture stuff and entertainment stuff that would have, you know, where it overlaps with our scope of coverage. So usually it's like when I've gone, it's when I've gone and checked out a Sony experience or a beauty tech demonstration. Mm-hmm. This year, all we're doing is, I mean, different from you because I'm not helping out with the XR and VR stuff, but uh, I'm just looking at panels and- And the panels uh, aren't great. The panels yeah. are just not newsworthy is the thing. Mm-hmm. They might be like, it's it's forcing us to think about things, which is mm-hmm. good, but not in a way that we can c- crank out coverage on. Because in Gadget, sure, it's sure. more like about, if we do a co- like a piece on what happened in South By, it's more like analyses and, and trends. And there's just not much that's new that's being mm-hmm. said, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. How about your experience? You did the XR and VR stuff? Yeah, I've done some. I did this thing called Finding Pandora, which won awards at the Venice Film Festival. Hmm. And it was kind of cool. It was like a live theater thing uh, where I joined the, I believe it's called the VR Chat app. And mm-hmm. I basically took a role as a, one of the Greek chorus and followed along as a Zeus and Hera tried to find <laughs> Pandora's box after Pandora died. That's cute. It was kind of a, it's a cute performance. It was fine. It wasn't like groundbreaking or revolutionary or anything, 
But I will probably be writing something up about this and also other AR and VR stuff I'm seeing at the show because they basically recreated downtown Austin in VR form in VR chat. So you can go walk nice. around and look at art stuff. So I know you have an Oculus Quest 2, Sherlyn. So like you can log on, just go walk around. Yeah. That's a cool thing, but it is... Um, you know, I, I think South by is one of my favorite shows because it is mm-hmm. such a perfect balance of everything I love, like movies mm-hmm. and pop culture and music and games yeah. and tech. Like it's all of it at once. And a big part of the appeal is just walking around downtown Austin yeah. and meeting people and seeing people in person. So I think with a traditional film festival like Sundance, you know, we were able to replicate quite a bit like of actually seeing movies at home. And South by mm-hmm. has a lot of that, too. But not any major premieres or anything. And for me, the real vibe of South by is is just that. It's the vibe of hanging out, uh, maybe mm-hmm. seeing celebrities down the street or something uh, as you're walking to yeah. a bar or a party. So this one really makes me miss real life. Yeah. Totally. Like the mm-hmm. random appearances too. Like I remember again, the one South by that I was, that I covered. Uh-huh. Um, yes. The vibe is great. The food is amazing. Mm-hmm. I wish when you said they recreated downtown uh, Austin, I was like, Oh my sort gosh, of. do they have the food trucks? Yeah. yeah. Um, but I, you know, one thing I liked about the South by that I covered was that was a South by where Elon Musk just appeared out of nowhere and held, sure. held a panel out of sure. nowhere. And it's like, all right, cool. Like that's what we're going to do, but that's not going to happen. It could Totally, much more easily happen. He's gonna spend his time in Clubhouse. Show. Like he will randomly pop up in yeah. Clubhouse now and He's not go a South by panel. Yeah, and yeah. be like, F- "Squad, I'm on Clubhouse talking South by Southwest this time. Come on over." And then all the people who are not on Android can't get on. So there you go. <laughs> or we're not on Apple. I I, I mean, but mm. yeah, it's kind of a wash, unfortunately. Um, but we'll see. we'll see. But I I I found it good for networking. So far, I've been finding interesting people, mm-hmm. topics, and stuff like that. So it'll help my long-term reporting. Cool. Well, any other stories you want to hit quickly, Sherlyn? We had a <laughs> bunch of news this week, and we're just like, I think we spent way too much time on Samsung and their yeah. dumb little events. But so there, there is much. Google stuff still? Yes. Yeah, so Google uh, antitrust. Uh, basically, there was a suit filed against Google from the Texas Attorney General, I believe, um, a while ago. And uh, it was in December, I believe, that it brought a suit about Google's anti-competitive conduct Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, what it believes were monopolistic advertising technology practices. So basically, you know, Google is very powerful in its ad sales Mm -hmm. or Mm -hmm. ad networking because that search is everywhere. This week, the news is that uh, the suit has been amended to include or target Chrome's Google Chrome's privacy sandbox, which we, I think, talked about earlier uh, in earlier episodes of the show where mm-hmm. Google's basically trying to figure out a way to enable ad tracking without third-party cookies. And privacy sandbox is a set of proposals the company is considering to do that. So things like Flock, things like federated learning of cohorts right. um, are part of privacy sandbox. So it's still worth knowing that like the suit's been amended to target new things, but it's in, done in a way that doesn't seem to understand the market. I don't... Gotcha. I, it, it feels to me so the the, the amendments uh, in the lawsuit accuse Google of quote hiding its true intentions behind a pretext of privacy, um, and it, and that the changes would put quote Google's Chrome browser at the center of tracking and targeting, um, which Chrome I mean Google has since refuted and 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 told Engadget the ex- mm-hmm. actual wording is here. Attorney General Paxton's latest claims mischaracterize many aspects of our business, including the steps we are taking with the privacy sandbox 
TikTok's initiative to protect people's privacy as they browse the web. So that's Google's statement. And underst- I, 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 yeah, I just feel like for once, <laughs> Google's not wrong. I don't think Privacy Sandbox really... Yeah. I don't know. I don't know enough. This, this seems like a good example of also legislators not quite understanding the tech and when the right. tech is trying to change. But we're, this is going to be the last antitrust thing we see from Google or against Google for some time. Like we're seeing stuff all around the world. And yep. this is good because I do think even if these countries are mis- you know, misunderstanding what Google is doing, it will at least force Google to kind of try to explain itself more. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I mm-hmm. want countries to be more involved with this. I just hope they get more informed with how they do it. So moving on to what we're working on and what am I not working on at this point? This week has <laughs> know, been right? kind of insane. I've just had multiple reviews go up. Uh, in addition to the uh, Radeon RX 6700 XT, I also reviewed Dell's 40-inch ultra-wide, ultra-sharp 40 monitor. So go check that out on the site. I'm working on... Maybe a review of the Asus ROG G15, which is a slightly bigger version of the G14 that we really liked last year. Has some really great hardware in it, including an AMD CPU. So I have it right now. I just like the look and feel of it. So I'm looking forward to reviewing this. Eventually, I'll be writing something about the Justice League Snyder Cut that's debuting on HBO Max. Uh, I wish I had time this week to deal with it, but I just don't you- between South by and everything. Did you see the tweets already going about about it, going around about it? I mean, I saw a lot the of tweets. Aspect but ratio. What? Yeah. I we knew the aspect ratio. We knew that was a problem because that was yeah. in the trailers. So it is the whole thing. We'll be talking more about this, but <laughs> I am personally not looking forward to spending four hours watching this movie uh, in a boxy aspect ratio. But yeah, yeah report back, folks. Let us know what you think of the, the Snyder Cut Justice League. We'll be talking about it next week. Sherlyn, what's up with you? Yeah, uh, you know, people know the OnePlus uh, event is March 23rd. I'll be prepping for that. And I'm still working on some research and interviews that I'm doing. Uh, I don't want to give it away just yet because I don't want to be scooped. So coming, just know that I'm doing some research on some interesting things that you'll see on the site hopefully next week. Uh, And uh, the Nest Hub that we talked about today, Mm -hmm. I should be getting one soon to review. So, you know, I'll be sleeping a lot. And uh, yeah, one one piece of accessibility news uh, that was unveiled sort of overnight, uh, Chrome is getting live captions, which I think is a really cool tool. Oh, cool. Um, that's something that should benefit a lot of people. Is that so going to work was, on all videos? Is that what's up? At least that's... Uh, that's we, so what, what happened overnight is we saw uh, a release <laughs> to the Chrome channel that mm. brings the feature. So we don't have a lot of official details just yet, but I wouldn't be surprised if we saw this, uh, mm-hmm. more details about this soon. So I would say stay tuned to the news slash engadget.com. Cool. Um, yeah, there we go. Let's move on to what we're watching and uh, some pop culture picks for us. And I just want to shout out Ryan the Last Dragon, which is a movie I think you'll really enjoy, Sherlyn. Uh, this is Disney's. I don't pay for it. I mean, yeah, you don't want to pay for it. Uh, wait a couple months, but right now yes. it is a $30 rental on Disney Plus. Mm-hmm. And um, this is Disney's first Southeast Asian set story or at least a story influenced by all the cultures there raya is basically a southeast asian princess um and this movie it's a lot of fun i really enjoyed it it has a lot of influences from avatar the last airbender and legend of korra and miyazaki's a lot of miyazaki films like nausicaa and the valley of the wind it is Mm -hmm. an adventure story it's an action movie it's about a girl who is learning to trust other people 
once again, but it's also like very much a martial arts movie. Like there's some great fights. There's some great action sequences and I really dug all that. Um, but yeah, I'd actually really be interested to hear your take, Sherlyn. So whenever you get around to seeing it, we should talk about it again. I had yes. a lot of fun with it. I do feel like um, it's a movie that could also go a little harder in certain respects. It is not like the most original thing from Disney. And something I've talked about with, uh, you know, on the Slash Filmcast, my podcast at SlashFilm.com, uh, we talked with Hoi Chen Bui, who is Vietnamese, and she talked about how she felt like this doesn't really represent any specific Southeast Asian culture. It's kind of like a melange of everybody all at once. Yeah. And that's not necessarily a great thing either, but yeah. Hey, it's something I think it's really enjoyable. My daughter, Sophia really loved this movie, but she also loves movies about tough girls with swords apparently. So yeah, she <laughs> is her good. father's daughter. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll let you know when I do watch it, what I think, because I, I already have a sense that like the, the guest that you had on your podcast was probably right um mm -hmm. but we'll, we'll get to it i uh it might surprise you and cause you to shake your head to find out that i just watched wally -E for the first time recently. oh wow okay yeah mm -hmm. <laughs> i was pretty depressed at the start but then it got good <laughs> it's a pretty so, depressing yes. movie yeah yeah at least when it comes um, to humanity <laughs> yeah but that's not my recommendation this week i have like i watched two relatively new movies on netflix and the one i'm going to recommend of the two is Boss level. Have you seen it, Devendra? I saw. That's Hulu. But yeah, boss level. Is it Hulu? Oh, my bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. On Hulu and Netflix, uh, the, the two movies I saw, sorry, were on Netflix yeah. and Hulu. But yeah, let's start with the Hulu one. Boss <laughs> level. Um, so of the two, okay, of the two I watched, let's just be frank now. I watched Boss Level and uh, Block Island Sound. And mm. Block Island Sound had the higher Rotten Tomatoes uh -huh. rating, but lower IMDb rating. Boss level was just more consistently scored across mm -hmm. the, the board, uh, both IMDb and Rotten Tomatoes. I actually preferred boss level. Boss level is basically because this... it's a uh, big, dumb action movie. Yeah, come on. It's fun. <laughs> yeah, but Block Island sounds really more in line with my taste, right? Because it's very yeah. science fiction and horror-y and suspense-y. But anyway, yeah, boss level is fun. It's, uh, it's Frank Grillo stars as this former military guy who gets caught up in a Groundhog Day scenario where he's time reliving loop. a day. Yep, yep. Yep, a time loop over and over again and has to figure out how to break out of it. But it's a very gory and fun video gamey <laughs> take on the genre. Um, very different from that Christian Milati. What's the title of that one again? Palm Springs. Palm Springs. From Palm Springs. Year. Very different. Although it's funny. It's like it's almost a year after Palm Springs. Hulu yeah. debuts another time loop movie because... Where we're stuck li we're living the same stuck. day over we're and over. Living yeah. the same thing over and over. But this movie is a lot of fun. Um, I saw this too actually a couple weeks ago. And oh, good. I want to shout it out for anybody who likes gaming stuff or time loop movies or just like fun action. I really like Joe Carnahan as a director. Um, like... He has done some great, great action movies. He did the A-Team remake, which nobody really liked, but I thought there was a lot of good <laughs> stuff in there. And he did The Grey, which also stars, co-stars Frank Grillo and Liam Neeson. Mm. And that movie is Liam Neeson versus Wolves. And that movie is awesome. <laughs> so be sure to check out The Grey. And if you want a taste of what uh, Joe Carnahan can do, I'd suggest look up um, his BMW film which is something they were doing in the early 2000s to kind of show off BMW cars, but also hmm. pair them up with good directors. He did that stars Clive Owen as like this mysterious driver of cool BMW cars. And it's a cool chase, little action short film. So that's worth oh. checking out too. Yeah. Speaking of shows that I watched for the first time only recently and also action shows, uh, I saw a girl <laughs> with the dragon tattoo for the first time recently too. And well, you uh, mean the TV series or the movies? 
the movie, the American version the American of the movie. movie. I was reminded overnight that yeah. <laughs> it's a Swedish version. The one starring Rudy Mara. Yeah. And uh, it was hard to watch at times, but really, really good. Yeah. Um, in, the, in terms of the thoughts. mystery. Yeah. yeah. In terms of the mystery, there are parts of it that are hard to watch. But anyway, uh, anyway, these are all things that you can watch if you want to relax from the depressing news. of. The, I don't know if the girl with the dragon tattoo is the I don't one know that. Maybe, maybe boss level. Boss level. Boss level's and then fun. Maybe. Maybe what's Boss it? Level has uh, like block, a cute, it's like a nice emotional core too, which is yes. also something Joe Carnahan does really well. Action, emotion, feeling. It's good. That's it for our show this week, folks. Thank you for joining us. Our theme music is by game composer Dale North. Our outro music is by our very own managing editor, Terrence O'Brien. The podcast is produced by Ben Elman. You can find Trillin online at... If you want to send me cartoon recommendations that I still have yet to watch, probably, so I am at so Sherlin Lowe on Twitter. I am at Devendra on Twitter, and I also do the Slash Filmcast podcast at SlashFilm.com. Email us at podcastandgadget.com. Leave us a review on iTunes and subscribe on anything that gets podcasts, including Spotify. Be sure to stay tuned after the end of this episode because we're going to have some of our interviews coming up. Uh, I'll be chatting with Fide Alvarez, the director of Calls, and Sherlyn, you were chatting with Robert Kirkman, right? Indeed, to talk about his new animated series, Invincible, on Amazon. We'll start with Sherlyn's interview, and that's it for now, folks. Thank you very much. Robert, could you describe for me the show in your own words and sort of explain the tone and the genre here? Yeah, I mean, Invincible is very much a superhero show, but it's also a coming of age story for Mark Grayson, who is, you know, coming into adulthood and entering into this world of superheroics, uh, following in the footsteps of his father, Omni-Man. And it's a very dramatic and, and emotional story as he uh, realizes that this world he's looked up to and wanted to be a part of since he was a very young child uh, is very much not what he expected it to be and is much more dangerous and much more dire than he could have ever hoped for. And, you know, now he's kind of knee deep in this world he wasn't prepared for and having to deal with that. I mean, it's also not, I'm personally, when I, I look at adult animations, I mean, they're either really, really biting and hilarious and sarcastic sometimes, or they're heartwarming. And I feel like this is kind of a mix of the two where there's there's moments where I really liked where like you really get into the insight of what a, a superhero's powers are, for example, I think the learning to fly a bit and mastering all that, but also the, the just the life, how to be a family of superheroes ish. Um, but what kind of what would you say is uh, the emotion you're expecting a viewer to feel watching this series? Oh, gosh, I don't know. I mean, I hope it runs the whole gamut. I mean, we're trying to, you know, basically <laughs> do what is a, a, an hour long cable drama in animated superhero form. So I want you to be scared. I want you to be happy. I want you to be surprised. I want you to be horrified at times. Uh, you know, there's going to be some times when you're very sad about what's happening. Uh, and hopefully there's times where you're feeling sheer excitement. I mean, there's a joy to these superheroes sometimes that, that you know, is really great. And then other times they're, you know, suffering like an absolutely crushing blow and you don't really know if they're going to be able to make it. And so I hope that you can get invested in these characters the same as you would Walking Dead or any other cable drama and, you know, just kind of go along with the uh, for the ride and, and experience their world in a, in a very real way as the series progresses. Yeah, you mentioned that. I think that that's, uh, again, to me, this is somewhat unique, but maybe I'm mistaken. But just the fact that it's, like you said, a cable drama, but an animated form. What are the challenges around creating something like that? 
Oh, I think that, uh, um, you know, a lot of animation is, uh, you know, contained in that half hour format. And so, you know, working with our storyboard artists and our animators and our overseas studios, we kind of had to acclimate them to this longer format and, uh, you know, learn how to structure scenes a little bit differently and, and things like that. And, you know, that was a slight learning process. But I think that more than anything, to have the cast that we have and to be able to give them the room to uh, live in their performance and, uh, inject a lot more drama into the stories that existed in comic book form when we were doing it as a comic, um, you know, to, to elevate the material uh, and expand the material in the way that we're able to do with this much time uh, is really great and is going to make for a really cool show. You, you mentioned the cast and I was curious, I guess this is a two-part question. One, was this uh, produced during the pandemic? And two, you know, I'm sure they were given lines, but did they have flexibility to kind of change around? Because the animated works, right? generally just expect the voice actors to just read what they're given and inject expression or emotion into it. But, you know, do they have the room kind of to, to come up with things on the fly or ad lib or? Yeah. Um, Well, one, I'll I'll say that, you know, this was produced, uh, you know, before the pandemic, during the pandemic, Mm -hmm. hopefully it'll be being produced after the pandemic, which is hopefully coming very soon. Uh, But all of our voice acting was done mostly in 2019, aside from some uh, pickup lines and ADR that was done after the fact. Uh, which was done remotely. Uh, But, uh, you know, we were able to be in studio with the actors. And uh, because, you know, it was done in 2019, it was done, uh, you know, as the animation was starting to be done. So we had times to, uh, you know, shape those lines and and work with those uh, actors on their roles, the same as you do in live action. So, you know, I was very much in a booth, you know, having Mahershala Ali say, I can't say the line this way. This doesn't work this way. Can I say it this way? And I'd be like, absolutely. Like, that's, you know, you're a genius. Do whatever you want. Uh, and, uh, you know, then you also have Jason Manzukas, who uh, is an absolutely brilliant improv artist and, uh, you know, same as Steven and Gillian Jacobs and a lot of our actors. But, uh, uh, you know, Jason is going to tell, uh, give you a different line reading every single time and he's going to be adding lines. And, and a lot of those ad lib lines got worked into the show uh, and are some of our funniest moments. And so that's really good. Uh, but, yeah, we were definitely able to work with all of the actors to not only, you know, do what was on the page, but to be able to add to it and expand on it however they saw fit. And I guess the other question about a bit of the behind the scenes uh, working with here and as Engadget, obviously, we're more curious about the tech versus the non-tech side of things. So, for example, you've obviously had a lot of experience working on The Walking Dead with AMC. Um, what was the experience like working with Amazon this time around? Do you feel that was a bit maybe more freeing or maybe there was different restrictions you didn't think about? How was that experience like? Uh, I think there's less content restrictions on Amazon than there are in AMC, just because of how the two outlets operate. Uh, AMC is still a pay or not. It's still a cable channel that has paid advertisements. Uh, Amazon, you know, exists in a a completely different space. Uh, So there's a lot of uh, uh, differences there. Uh, But, uh, uh, you know, as far as, uh, you know, how Amazon worked on this show, I think that, uh, you know, it was a very free experience. We were able to follow the story where we wanted to go and and whatever the story needed was A-OK by them. They were very supportive. Uh, This is a very dramatic uh, show, but it is also a very violent show. And a lot of that drama comes from that violence. And I was, you know, worried at any moment that I would get tapped on the shoulder and they'd be like, you know, tone it down a little. Uh, but uh, luckily, you know, they, they never really did that. And if anything, we were always encouraged to push those envelopes because I think if you see from, you know, what they're able to produce with the boys and the Marvel's Mrs. Maisel and all the different great shows that are on their platform, they're a boundary pushing company that wants to bring something new to the form of television. And so it's great to be a part of that.
that. Do you think,、uh, and I don't know your experience with working with some of the other streamers like Netflix, for example, but do you think this is kind of a trend we're seeing that online streamers are a little more free with the content、uh, maturity, maybe, or just the, the, the limits they're willing to explore? Is that a trend in the industry? I think it's a case by case basis from streamer to streamer. I think everyone has their different content. Uh, I think Disney Plus is certainly looking for something that you know, is a little bit more family friendly than, say, you know, Netflix is able to do.、Um, but I mean, I, you know, Netflix runs the whole gamut between family friendly and very mature content.、Um, so I think that uh, uh, you know, there's certainly a, a sense of, you know, it's not necessarily the Wild West out there, but、uh, with all these different streaming services entering the market,、um, you know, there is a sense of almost anything goes. Um, but, uh, uh, you know, I think that,、uh, you know, that can be very freeing. But、uh, um, I don't know. I mean, again, I haven't worked with,、uh, with all of them, but that just seems to be my general sense of the landscape. And does that make you kind of feel like we all know who you are in the field, right? And it's really interesting to feel like, I mean, I'm a huge fan of The Walking Dead. So,、oh, um, yeah. But, but it's interesting to think about your perspective in this, where, you know, For a lot of independent you know, filmmakers or, or show producers out there, maybe they're like, oh, we're just hoping that with more people or studios approving or ordering these,、uh, these pieces of content, for them, it's just like more chances to get seen. But for someone like you who's a bit more of a vet、uh, in, the, in the field, I was curious about your perspective. Like when you're creating a new, new show, like say Invincible or whatever else you might have cooking,、um, whether this makes you think differently. Are you targeting a specific streamer? Are you thinking, heck, I'll just make something, someone's going to pick it up? You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, I guess.、Um, I think that, yeah, I, I still try to cater to whatever audience I'm going for, I think.、Um, you know, Invincible, I think, is.、Uh, You know, a very specific show. I mean, there's only a, you know, I, I think there's a tremendously huge audience out there that loves superheroes. And, and、mm-hmm. we're trying to, you know, definitely be on the mature side of things, which I think differentiates us from a lot of superhero shows.、Uh, and, uh, uh, you know, we're, we're doing different things with the format. I don't know. I mean, I think what excites me the most is, is doing things a little differently and pushing boundaries. The fact that this is an hour long animated show is a little different. The fact that it's a, a superhero show that is animated、uh, and mature,、uh, you know, sets it apart. And、uh, I think doing new things is exciting to me. And because of that, I think that, you know, what these streaming platforms are allowing us to do、uh, is, is really exciting as, as a creator because、um, you're not on a network where you're just. Trying to appeal to the ma- most massive audience possible so that they can buy the most advertisements on that show. The, the name of the game now is、um, Is there a segment of the population out there who is not currently subscribing to our streaming service who will for your show? And so they encourage you to be as niche as you want to be because that might bring a new audience to their、uh, platform that will then watch all of their content. So uh, uh, it's a little bit freeing creatively. So, a little bit back to the show, really quickly. I think we just like to hear this is more like from your own, in your own words. Some of these characters are quite familiar. I think I see The Flash or Omni Men is just kind of the everyman, you know, every big superhero. Do you, how, how do you see the, these sets of heroes differentiating from everyone else? Or is the familiarity kind of intentional? Well, I think for the ones you're talking about,、uh, especially, is the, the, without spoiling things too much,、uh, it's possible that the characters that are the most familiar are the ones that die the fastest. <laughs> and the reason, 
the reason that they are so familiar is because I want you to have a sense of who they are and I want you to have uh, some form of a relationship with them uh, so that their uh, demise has impact. Um, if they were completely uh, new, different characters, uh, because they die so quickly, you wouldn't have that sense of, oh my gosh, I can't believe we just lost that character. Uh, and so it's kind of a, a shorthand. It's kind of a cheat, if you will. Um, you know, there's a lot of originality into uh, the core cast of our characters uh, that I think will carry this series forward for many years to come. But, uh, uh, you know, superheroes, you need to have a certain familiarity with that world. And so there are some aspects where you can kind of see like, wait a minute, Cecil Stedman is kind of like a Nick Fury. Like he's kind of the guy that's going to be overseeing things. And that makes it a little bit more interesting when he starts behaving less and less like Nick Fury. You're like, wait a minute, I thought he would be this kind of guy that does this kind of thing. And he's not that at all. What's going on? Uh, it kind of builds intrigue into the story by uh, lulling you into this sense of you know complacency where you're like, I know what's going to happen now. And then when we pull the rug out from under you, you're like, whoa, I didn't expect this from this show. Uh, and hopefully that keeps an audience engaged and it makes them uh, keep coming back week to week for more. I mean, that sounds a lot like The Walking Dead, except for very heart-wrenching in both ways. I mean, Steven Yoon as the main character, one of my favorites from Walking Dead as well. But as an Asian person, I, just, I have to say this. He seems to be one of the few, what, Asian male superheroes occupying a lead role in the series that I've seen. Yeah, I guess so. Uh yeah, I, I mean, mean I, I mean, short of Chang Chi coming out next year, yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's, I, I, I is, I wanna, I guess I was asking if, um, you know, that it was deliberate, and if there was any like, in drawing him, were there any deliberations or thoughts around portraying him? I, I guess like hammering that point home. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think that um, uh, the race of Mark in the comic book series was ambiguous. It was never stated one way or the other, you know, if he was Italian or, mm -hmm. you know, Puerto Rican or, or whatever, you know, uh, just because he wasn't uh, clearly defined. Um, when it came time to do the series, we thought it was a little bit more important uh, to uh, make sure that our series represented the world around us in a more realistic way. Uh, you know, the comic book series was set up... Uh, you know, almost 20 years ago, uh, when that kind of thing wasn't uh, as in the forefront. I'm very proud of how diverse the comic book series was. And we did a lot of groundbreaking things and, and did a lot of things with representation. But being able to push that even more, being able to take the Amber character and, and, and make her black and, uh, you know, do different things to uh, show that, uh, uh, you know, this, this is more accurately reflecting the world around us was very important. Uh, casting Stephen Young in this role, uh, you know, I cast him because I knew him and uh, I knew he was great and I knew he would be a, a great job, that he would do a great job. I didn't cast him because, you know, he's Korean. Uh, uh, but I think that uh, uh, that gave us a tremendous opportunity to, you know, show an audience like yeah you know like superheroes can be anyone and uh you know uh, uh it's great to be able to do that i i'm out of time um but i'd love to keep talking if ever possible thank you so much for your time robert <laughs> and now on to my chat with fede alvarez the director of calls on apple tv plus fede alvarez thank you so much for joining us in the gadget podcast 
Can you tell us uh, what was your motivation for adapting calls? Because this is a really unique concept as a show. Um, certainly not like something we've seen on TV anytime recently. So I'm really wondering what was going on in your thought process there. I mean, Apple approached me with this this concept, this format, right? Of uh, what if, what if we do this kind of Twilight Zoney kind of show that uh, that that will be just based on phone calls. And uh, apart from that, you can do whatever you want. But it was basically the whole concept. <laughs> and uh, they allowed me to create a new visual language, you know, complete departure from the from the show that were that were showing me, and and also to create all the stories, right? I think the only story that has something in common, I think, is the first episode because we did a bit of a pilot, but uh, but then the rest, mm-hmm. I had the chance to just create all this concept. And you know, coming from film, where in film you, you come up with what this one idea, and then you have to run with it for two years, right? And 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 those characters, that group of characters, and that's it. Uh, so this time for me, it was like, oh, this would be great, like in one single year. To be to be able to create a bunch of characters and a lot of scenarios and a lot of stories um, for for the show, so there was something very special about that um, mm-hmm. that really drew me in. And also the fact there was no rules, there was no, you know, a lot of shows and movies. They, they, even the studio doesn't say it; they just trying to be similar to something else or trying to play in the ballpark of the audience and like that other show. So maybe this is like this meets that. This was nothing means nothing. I mean, was nothing. this yeah. was going to yeah. be a completely new thing. Um, and uh, and that felt great, you know, very refreshing for me. Awesome. Obviously, it does have the DNA of the classic drama radio shows and things like that. But it, mm-hmm. on its own, because of the, it was a combination of that, it, obviously, with new technology and graphics and something you have not experienced before. So it was that, that was what drew me in, just to... The fact that it was no playbook or no Bible for it. It was just really free for gotcha. all when it comes to create. It's funny, whenever I talk to people when they're trying to make something in a limited kind of way, uh, they find a certain freedom in that. Do you, is that basically what you found to be true? Yeah, for sure. I think I think usually when, when it's uh, shorter, I think because probably because of budgets and, and, and whatnot, there's always more freedom when it's a bit more experimental, right? So um, in this case... At the same time, it was great to do something so experimental in the context of something so mainstream as Apple, right? Which is what made me really excited, and and I was so kind of proud of them in a way. I was like, great, great for that that they just want to take uh, you know roll the dice and something like this and let us create something where it wasn't until they saw the first episode that we'll have no idea what we're doing, right? Which was funny. Imagine. Apple that is all about 4K and colorful stuff. First episode start playing is a black background with a white line and nothing else in two names. It was like, what a second, what's <laughs> going on? Obviously, it evolves from that, but but the, the yeah. idea there was a lot of risk taken and a lot of experimentation. So uh, you know, it, it's truly truly mm-hmm. special. Do you see this as like uh, exploring a new type of way of doing a TV show? Because yeah, it is sort of like it is a radio drama, but the visuals I think are pretty important too. Um, but maybe I don't know if this is a thing where you intend everybody to sit down on their couch and just watch it or like have it on in a way and experience it with headphones. I don't know. What is your ideal experience, uh, your ideal way for people to experience the show? And uh, yeah, what do you think this is, this means for like the future of TV, too? Yeah, I, like I, I, don't, I don't know what it means for the future, but I do, you know. Yeah. I know that when it comes to my movies, I don't want them to experience them on the phone. <laughs> I just want them exactly, to exactly. theaters and eventually on the largest TV they can find. But they, when it comes to this show, honestly, it's one of those that I think you can watch in you know, whatever device you want, with headphones, without headphones, a big TV on the phone. Mm-hmm. I think you'll get a great kick out of it anyways. 
Um, there's something special actually hearing on the phone, not even do headphones, like hearing on the phone to your ear, because yeah. kind of what, uh, what I love about the concept when you, you listen to the first episode, it kind of took me back to the days when I had a wireless, you know, line, line at home. And suddenly sometimes magically you could get your neighbors or someone around the block. Uh, you, you could mm-hmm. eavesdrop that conversation for a second. It was so wrong and forbidden, <laughs> but you were, you were hoping for some drama to unfold, <laughs> which never did. Uh, in this case, it does. So there's something about that idea of on your phone hearing to some other people talking that is, it feels great because it's like all the things that are great mm-hmm. in movies, they all kind of have to feel a little bit wrong. At least the things that I do in movies, they always have to be a little bit wrong. <laughs> like, <laughs> is this is really happening. I mean, is, is, I'm really listening to this conversation. So um, mm-hmm. there's something about that, that, that I felt uh, that that makes me think that it might be one of the shows that I'm okay if you watch it on your phone. I watch it on television if it was me, right? And uh, gotcha, gotcha. I, think I was listening. I was watching. I think I think I got through like half of the season so far, and I was watching it. And I, it was very spooky uh, to just be listening to these conversations on a nice pair of headphones. Um, just wondering too, like clearly you had to think a lot about audio production and the way you layered the audio and everything. Is this something like, have you, did you think about it differently or in a you know more specific way than on your movies and did working on the show kind of change the way you think about audio production moving forward? Well, I think look when we started thinking about the show, there was no pandemic. Um, then when we started right, writing right. it, the pandemic slowly started, and then by the time we were going to uh, go into production, there was a full lockdown. So we had to rethink the whole process. We were going to probably the plan was originally to take the actors to stage and and pretend to be talking on the phone. But then for me, oh, yeah. for me, it kind of felt great. I was like, look, I, I think it's going to make the show better in a way. It was the only silver lining on the pandemic, I guess. It was like this is going to be people at home talking on the phone actually talking on the phone to each other and that's how we did it we created what we call football which was just a suitcase with a with a laptop and and a couple mics and uh we sent to the actors actors that had no assistance had to figure out how to use it (laughs) uh, which is always fun to to do Uh, they did manage for the most part of them they did manage to to work around the whole system and then we connected wirelessly you know through the internet with everybody else but then when, when I was saying action, people were like, you know, talking on the phone with everybody else in a way. And, uh, mm-hmm. and, and they, and they, there was no pretending what you get on the show is all these actors, they are at home and they are talking to each other. So it is Mark Duplay. It is at home. He's at home and he's talking with Pedro mm-hmm. Pascal, who is at home. So they, they are, uh, <laughs> there's a very little pretending in it, which makes uh, my work easier as a director. Usually when you give, uh, when you create an environment around the actors that is very similar to what the characters will be experiencing. So mm-hmm. I think it made for very realistic performances, man. But it was it was a lot of fun. Can it was you talk more? Fun that you could see, you yeah. could do it, that we could pull it off. That was pretty unique. Can you talk more about that at home production too? Uh, you know, were some people did they actually have phones up to their ears to try to mimic the you know what they were doing? Uh, how do you, how do you direct somebody to do something like this remotely? Even yeah, well, they, they they do. I mean, we we gave them some tips uh, obviously about how to sound the way they're supposed to sound when they talk on the phone. Mm-hmm. So you know the distance with the mic and all that. There's a lot of post-processing as well to, to make sure it sounds exactly like phone lines and there's sure. so many different filters and and things because depending on what kind of phone line you are and, and if you're on a cell phone or a landline it'll sound completely different so we really try to match that sometimes it's even radio communications in the show so we we had to really a lot of work on that but uh, but then a lot of it is on the actors i mean uh, great actors wants mm-hmm. to go the extra mile so i remember on episode one you know nick brown from from a uh, succession uh, you know, cousin Greg, mm-hmm. he's in that uh, first episode, and he, when he, you know, he had the first 
uh, first half of the episode, he's indoors, but then uh, towards the end, he has to run outside. And, and he was like, hey, you know, it's going to sound better if I'm outside, literally. So he will take the mic and everything and will just go out to the streets and run around asking for help with the mic. And, you know, all the neighbors <laughs> getting really worried about his, his well-being. Um, but he was really doing all the things. I mean, I remember Karen Gillian in her house pretending to be dying and her dogs and the dogs and the neighbor's dog going insane <laughs> because they were so worried about her. Uh, there was all this, the reality of doing all this at home was uh, quite funny a lot of times. Um, but, oh, wow. uh, you know, they, they all learned to do it and, and figure out ways to sound the right way at home. Was, they, you know, they all became like audio technicians on their own right at the end. <laughs> Did you guys capture any of that on video just to like, I don't know, Give us a, bu- really. a no, bit of like what it was like to produce. I wish we, I oh, wish we that... had. I, th- I think we had some Zoom, you know, there's just the introductory Zoom call because that's how we started every episode. We had a Zoom, everybody was on the screen, and everybody would just explain mm-hmm. the basics, so give direction, they talk character. And then when everybody was ready to go, I would just shut down the computer. I didn't want to see anyone's faces. So I, because they didn't want to get more than what you were going to get when you see it. So sometimes if mm. you see an actor face, you get more emotion out of it, just of their expression. And then you think the performance is good enough. But when, then when you hear the audio, the emotion is not there maybe. So, so I didn't want to see their faces. So we, so I didn't get to see it. I wish I had seen some of those <laughs> scenarios uh, where, you know, stuff like that was happening. Oh, that's funny. So you even excluded yourself from that. Uh, yeah, that's yeah. hilarious. <laughs> um, one quick thing. I want to talk about the visuals too. Like how did you go about bringing visuals to this because this is mainly an audio story but there was clearly a lot of cool stuff happening on the screen and things that like uh, enhance the story too yeah no definitely you kind of need to see it to understand to really get mm-hmm. to fully understand most of the stories um there's a lot of clues also hidden in the graphics right uh by i think I remember like this one that is as two sisters and 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 one of, and the husband and one of the sisters the ex-husband seems to be an ex-husband mm-hmm. and uh you're watching the whole the whole episode by towards the end when you start realizing there might be a little bit of love triangle involved. You can go, oh, I've been watching a triangle since the beginning of the episode. So there's like a lot of clues hidden and the graphics are important. Also a lot of text in between characters sometimes that you wanna you wanna make sure you get. But um, you know, I, I think it's a it's a very experimental way to translate the visual language of a film into abstract graphics. I think it can be done. Yeah. I think the show yeah. achieved that in many moments. Because I know as a director that if I want to make you feel a certain way, I will shoot an actor from a different angle or I just do an extreme close-up of, of an eye or I would just put the camera very low to the ground and move very slowly down a hallway. And I know that creates a sense of dread um, if the light is in the right place. So the same here, there's the patterns of colors and movement. I know, you know, we basically translate them from film to this to create the same emotions in a kind of almost mm-hmm. subliminal way. You might not even notice we're doing that, but you start feeling that like, oh, it feels like someone's going to die. And it's just based on the color patterns that we're using that makes you feel that way. So there's a lot of kind of cutting edge experimentation of uh, patterns and color and what it does to your brain. So it's not, it might seem random, but it's far from random. It's really, we, we try a lot of ways and we realize but once we we settled on a language and we knew what we were doing, like it was a lot of fun to just, you know, uh, do all the episodes, um, knowing how we we're going to create those emotions. Excellent. Thank you so much for chatting with us today. No, thank you, man. <laughs> nice, 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 nice. <laughs>